Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. we're both longtime MMA journalists, And for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. We had UFC 292 over the weekend, TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Sean O'Malley upsets Aljamain Sterling in the main event to become the UFC men's bantamweight champion. In the Women's Strawweight Championship, uh, things played out a little bit more according to Chalk, as Zhang Wiley dominated Amanda Lemos over five rounds to win the unanimous decision. You had Ian Gary defeat Neil Magny, uh, Mario Batista, and Chito Vera also nabbing wins on the pay-per-view card. We will spend, obviously, most of this episode recapping stuff from that event, going over the important highlights. And, uh, Ben, I was, uh, I was out of town this weekend. Uh, it was my wedding anniversary, 12th wedding anniversary. So my wife and I were out of town, had to catch up on the fights once I got back. What about you? Did you, were you able to watch UFC 292 live? Well, first of all, I would like to send a message to your wife on your anniversary as I do every year and say to her, why are you doing this to yourself? Uh, it doesn't have to be this way. Second of all. I was out of town as well. Mm-hmm. I took my children on a mini road trip to Butte, Montana. And I was sitting there watching the prelims. I had it in my mind, well, you know, my kids are going to go to sleep. I'll, I'll get, the, I'll order the thing on my laptop, watch the, the pay-per-view in the room. But I was sitting there in the hotel bar watching the prelims. Shout out to the guy hanging out next to me who kept talking about Sean O'Connell, who he was very excited okay. about. So he's a big PFL fan, in other words, this guy sitting next to you in the bar. He meant Sean O'Malley. He was very excited about there being a a fellow from Montana. Remember we were talking about that that thing about are people in Montana excited? Are they paying more attention to this one than usual? Is Sean O'Malley a big deal in Montana? I recall saying that you hear more people talking about Sean O'Malley than you do just people who don't normally care about UFC noticing at yeah. other times. And this is a good example. This guy, he knew enough to know there was some kind of Montana connection. He didn't know that much about it. 
And I made the mistake of answering one of his questions when he asked, just because I happened to be the guy sitting next to him. And then he figured out that I knew some shit about this. And then I had to become the, an FAQ section for this guy. Yeah. Um, this plan came to a screeching halt, however, when a major thunderstorm rolled through and just knocked out all the power in the hotel for hours. Oh, no. Just the power hours. went out? The power went out uh, for quite some time. Really uh, altered everybody's plans, especially all the people eating in the dark in the uh, the restaurant. Uh, those people, by the way, included at one point me and my children, who my daughter pointed out that the big problem with eating in the dark is that you go to take a bite of your chicken strips and you can't tell which of the chicken, which chicken strip bite has ketchup on it. And that's obviously very important because you dipped it in ketchup. You know it's in there somewhere, but you can't quite see. So... We all had to power through that, and then I had to catch up with the fights later. Um, but, you know, hey, if they see a dip in pay-per-view revenues from what they expected over here in the 406, especially in the Butte region, yeah, acts of God are to blame, Chad. Yeah, uh, we, we're going to talk more about Sean O'Malley being from Montana later in this episode, I think. But I will just say this, generally... My barometer for whether or not a UFC event has entered the mainstream is if my father texts me about mm -hmm. it. And he did text me on Saturday afternoon to ask me if I was, quote, watching the O'Malley fight. So I will say that it did seem like there was some some interest there. And uh, we'll explore that a little bit more deeply as we as we move forward. We're also, I think, going to talk about next week's UFC on ESPN event which could be a good one. You got Max Holloway and the Korean zombie in the main event of that bad boy. So we'll keep our eye on that. Remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries, but that's not all. You can find the co-main event, Ben, Folks, and myself all week over on Patreon. Hit us up at patreon.com slash co-main event. Get loads of extra audio and video content as well as access to the official Discord message board. The coolest people in MMA are over there chatting it up 24-7 on any number of topics. The only rule over on the message board is no assholes. If that sounds good, but you can't fully commit right off the top of your head if you're not totally sold, if you're interested, but you're wondering what the Patreon is really all about, the good news is you can go over right now and sign up for a seven-day free trial at the $5 level. It's a great chance to check out a week's worth of our content over there and decide if you want to take the plunge and sign up for it. Uh, and as we've said, week in and week out, we can only keep making this show with the support of listeners like you. Come party with us. We think it's the funnest, smartest, most welcoming group of men and women talking fights online. Head over to patreon.com slash co-main event and join the team. You can also scoop up some dope CME merchandise if you head over to our website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says shop, in there you'll find old favorites like the Dundasso t-shirt designs, old-school cowboy astronaut cigarettes merch, and a lot of cool new stuff too, like Are You Fucking Kidding Me shirts, a merchandise for the dreaded MMA gods. You know what we sell a lot of over there in the shop? You can go there and you can get a daddest man on the planet coffee mug. Yeah. Which makes it, that makes a terrific gift. It for, does. For dads of all ages, frankly. Yeah. They don't even have to get the reference. They can just yeah, enjoy just, the coffee mug. Just get it for them. Of course, we got the hottest seller on the market, the Bobby Nux t-shirt. 
as well as the brand new Volcamania shirts. So go over there and check those out at comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says shop. As always, we partner with our friends at Superconductor on the designs. They are a brand and design studio from Portland, Oregon. We can't recommend them highly enough for all your design needs. Hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at Studio Superconductor. We got music this week from our friend Dion Rodriguez, a producer from Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the podcast, check out more at soundcloud.com slash dbeat7. And again, that's the word beats with a Z. Beat. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Montana stand up. We haven't always been behind Sean O'Malley on this program, but now that he's the champion, you better believe we're going to act like we were, like the lousy front-running homers that we are. And in round number two, there's levels to this shit. If you don't believe me, just ask Amanda Lemos. And in round number three, you want a fun-ass fight? How about we talk a little bit about Max Holloway versus the Korean zombie, all that. Plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. Have you signed up to get your free bonus month of NordVPN? When you go to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main, if you haven't, you really, really should. With NordVPN, you get the fastest VPN on the planet. NordVN, NordVPN provides online protection with a single click. Don't miss any of your favorite content, even when you're traveling. Stay at home virtually. Stay safe from malware with threat protection. Ben and I both have it. We use it all the time. Ben, I know you love NordVPN. What's your favorite thing about using it? Well, Chad, I like how it clicks right on to protect you as you bounce from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter if you're sitting at the hotel bar trying to pull up Sean O'Malley's uh, tapology page to show to some curious onlooker. Doesn't matter if you're then at the bowling alley next door to see if their power is on. NordVPN has got you covered. You can also access Nord's amazing cybersecurity apps, including the NordPass Password Manager, helping you keep all your passwords straight and close at hand. And with the NordLocker encrypted cloud storage app, you can keep your files backed up, synced, and protected from snoopers' loss or malware in its secure cloud. No one will see, touch, or sell them. Sign up right now for any of NordVPN's handy two-year plans and get... An additional month for free by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or just use the code co-main. That's all one word. This offer includes all of the plans, the standard plan, the plus plan, the complete plan, every plan you could possibly plan for. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal again by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or just use the code co-main. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Nobert Buckles III. He writes, so Neil Magny got whooped like a stepchild on Saturday night. Now, see, that's a that's a reference. Mm-hmm. That's a reference to some of the stuff Neil Magny said last week, which we will talk, I think, coming up here in our second question. But this one just says... Uh, He got beat like a stepchild Saturday night by another rising prospect. He's filled the gatekeeper role for some time now. 
auditing potential challengers and making them prove they belong in the upper echelon of the welterweight division. However, it looks more and more like father time is catching up with the Haitian sensation and the value of a win over Magny is diminishing rapidly and some folks have been calling for his retirement. I'm not sure he's totally cooked and can't win another fight in the UFC, but his days as a top 10 talent appear to be behind him. Whether or not you think he should step away, he filled an important role for a long time. All this is to give Magny his due daps and respect, one of the real ones, and also to ask who is the new gatekeeper at 170. This was a fairly contentious fight with Ian Gary in the uh, in a welterweight fight on the main card of UFC 292. Ian Gary pretty much beat Neil Magny from pillar to post. And in fact, I don't even know how Neil Magny made it through 15 minutes of this thing, man. It's it looked like shit. he was done in round number two. Couldn't even stand on one of his legs, given the low kicks from Ian Gary. I thought uh, referee Keith Peterson might even step in to stop this one. That's how bad it got at times. But Neil Magny does make it the full 15, but the scores are pretty ugly. Ian Gary wins this one 30-26, 30-26, 30-24, which is as lopsided as you will kind of ever see considering how we score fights right now. Uh, I feel like I keep making the mistake of thinking that old Neil Magny is going to show up for these fights because when I always see these matchups, I always think, oh, tough matchup for the prospect what with neil magny and all Mm -hmm. but honestly he's two and three in his last five we know this he is 36 years old he doesn't look totally shot to me but he also looks like he can't really keep up with these young guns and that was more than apparent frankly on saturday night against ian gary i'm not sure where neil magny if anywhere goes from here if i'm being honest you keep thinking old neil magny is going to show up and instead old neil magny shows up oh, 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 oh wow i see what you did there mm-hmm. that's almost like the joke that uh Nobert buckles made in the beginning of his email here worth pointing out fighters hate it when you call anybody a gatekeeper or you call them a gatekeeper they really hate that just like they hate yeah. journeyman it does however refer to a real thing and a real thing that we kind of need especially with gatekeeper because We're not saying that you suck. We're saying that only the people who are good beat you. The the thing about being a gatekeeper, by definition, you beat the people who aren't ready for the top, who aren't that good, who who aren't going to be elite level guys. You beat those people. If you don't beat those people, you're not a gatekeeper. Like people act like gatekeeper is the worst kind of insult. There's a lot of shit below gatekeeper, my friends, and a lot of (laughs) fighters fall into that realm. A lot of fighters should aspire to at least be gatekeepers and will never get there. So I understand the reason they hate it is because it feels like you've put a ceiling on them. You've put this descriptor on them and you've said, this is how good you are and you will never be better than that. And I get it. They, They don't like hearing that. But when you look especially at Neil Magny's recent fights where he lost this one to to Ian Gary, beat Phil Rowe. Lost to Gilbert Burns, beat Daniel Rodriguez, lost to Shavkat Rachmanov, that boy good, beat Max mm-hmm. Griffin and Jeff Neal. And it's like, he's beaten everybody except for the really good guys. And, you know, he's not on like any like long losing streaks here. I think Neil Magny, if you go back and look at his career, he's only had one losing streak. Only ever once has he lost two fights in a row. And that was in 2013 when he was brand new to the UFC. Other than that, you know, he'll lose one, win one. 
So I don't know you can look at a guy like that and be like, retire, bitch, because he's still pretty good. You know, yeah. he's still there's still a whole lot of people in there who he could be. I guess it's a question of what does he want out of his career at this point and what can he realistically achieve? Because, I, I mean, I think Neil Magny, he he's a big guy for the weight class. He, that he's used that well. He's got a good all-around game. And he's continued to develop as best he can as the years have gone by. It's just sort of like physically you're going to run into some limitations. Yeah. If you're going to be talking about new gatekeepers, and I'm not saying I disagree with you, I think Neil Magny could probably stick around if he wants to. But in the welterweight division, let me throw a couple names at you. First of all, the guy Ian Gary went ahead and called out after this fight was over and maybe laid it on a little thick in terms of establishing Stephen the Wonder Man Thompson as the greatest striker in the world. Or people's picks as the greatest striker in the world or whatever it was that Ian Gary specifically said. But perhaps Stephen the Wonder Man Thompson fits the bill as a welterweight gatekeeper. I would also just mention Gilbert Burns. Okay. I mean... That is one way, I think, to be a gatekeeper is to get up there to the title, do pretty well, but not win it, but then also be the guy where uh, if in order to, to beat you means becoming an instant contender, but to go up against you and lose means mm, we, we tested you out. We, you had an audition for a title shot and you didn't pass. So like yeah. that is sort of a good litmus test for a gatekeeper. Yeah, you know, and uh, Ian Gary was supposed to fight Jeff Neal at this event, but uh, Jeff Neal pulled out a couple weeks ago, and so he was replaced by Neil Magny. Jeff Neal, also not totally unfit, perhaps, from the role of gatekeeper. We'll move on, though, to Matt Webb's question, who asked, first of all, subject line on his email was, Ian Gary fucking sucks. Oh, God. So if you want to know where he's coming Kicking from, in the he door. writes... Wait, what time did this... What's the time stamp on this one? Because sometimes we get these emails that come through, uh, you know, 45 minutes, hour and a half after the card ended. It's early Sunday morning, and it seems like people have been writing them on a couple of few soda pops. This would be Saturday, August 19th at 9.45 p.m. So it sounds okay, like... Right after the fight. Immediately following <laughs> okay. Ian, Ian Gary versus... No, no time Ed. for reflection or anything. Like, probably had the browser open waiting to send yeah. the email. I don't even know that I need to read the rest of the email, but it says, just want to say I can't fucking stand Ian Gary being a total asshole to Neil Magny. Fuck that guy, no question. Uh... We talked about this a little bit last week on the Power Hour, that it seemed like Ian Gary and Neil Magny were in a race to the bottom during the pre-fight, the lead-up to this thing. uh, Neil Magny has always struck us as a likable, upstanding guy in this division who's, in the past... Uh, seemed like he was he was easy to support. And then this week he showed up for this fight, and I don't have the quotes in front of me, but I will paraphrase, kind of said he was going to beat Ian Gary the way a father would beat his children and said that he, Neil Magny, had a lot of experience with that kind of ass whooping. Uh, and Ian Gary took offense to that, as I think a lot of people did. I still don't know if... Neil Magny was just trying to have some silly little guy energy. I think maybe he was. And, but there's just nothing about Neil Magny that feels silly little guy. He seems like a serious dude all the time. Yeah. It's also not necessarily a thing you want to be dropping hilarious jokes about. 
and or not the kind of thing that you can act surprised if people took you at your word. Yeah. When you said uh, that you were out here beating your children, but uh, Neil or Ian Gary took offense to that, obviously leading up to this fight when it was supposed to be Jeff Neal, Ian Gary also did some shit that made it seem like uh, he was in a race to the bottom with Jeff Neal, putting his mugshot on a, on a t-shirt, et cetera, et cetera. So they came into this fight with a lot of black, bad blood and a lot of uh, contentious feelings where it kind of seemed like everybody was sort of being an asshole. And then that spilled up into the spilled over into the fight itself. I've said this about Ian Gary in the past, and I will say it again, the recent past MMA doesn't need any more villains. We're we good. got enough. Yeah. It's like everywhere you look, villains, villains here, villains there, villains at the top, villains at the bottom. Uh, mass media websites constantly doing stories about MMA fighters nobody's ever heard of before because they did some terrible shit. We have enough villains. We could use some heroes. And I agree that it is kind of shitty. It kind of sucks that this guy, Ian Gary, who seems like he is a very exciting prospect and a fun guy to watch fight. It is disappointing to me that he seems to be opting for a Conor McGregor heel style uh, persona in front of the cameras. I don't know if this is natural for him. You hear the UFC broadcast talk about him and it actually seems like maybe behind the scenes, Ian Gary is a humble, uh, self-aware thoughtful young man you put a mic in his face and all of a sudden he's the greatest of all time and he's going to apologize to absolutely fucking nobody and all this other stuff i don't know man it it feels tired to me and frankly i am tired of it okay i thought initially when he came out so strong against kind of what seemed like a little bit of a throwaway comment by neil magny i was like is he just trying to find a way to make this backup plan of a fight into more of a thing does he see like okay i need something i can seize upon to really build a little bit of a a storm here and then he heard that and he went there's my thing there's my way in and i'm still not convinced that that's not what he was doing because he seemed like all fight week he was trying to find ways to direct more of the attention his way. Like when he said he felt like he was carrying the fight car and all that kind of stuff. And it was like, bro, a lot of people did not realize you were on this one. So I can't get too mad at that. Cause aren't we always sitting here saying it's so hard to stand out. It's so hard to get noticed it, the way the UFC operates these days. You got to find some way to direct some eyeballs your way. And I can't get that mad. If you think, okay, I found a way. I also started to wonder, though, especially seeing the way he was playing it up and keeping after it during the fight itself, where I was just like, is he one of these guys who needs that? Because we've yeah. we've seen those guys before. You know, they need every fight to be a blood feud. They need to feel like, I hate this person. They hate me. This is a, a struggle for existence itself. And they're my most bitter enemy. Some people just need that to really get themselves where they need to be to to go in there and get in a cage fight with them. And so they will create that out of nothing if they have to. Maybe the same guy who's out here making like DUI t-shirts and shit like that is is one of those guys. I mean, seems like it could be a little from column A, a little from column B. You're trying to just generate something that'll get people talking. But also, you maybe you feel like you need to talk this up 
to make it into a fight where ego-wise you could not stand the thought of losing it just to ensure that you give your best effort. The same way Muhammad Ali would say, like, you know, I, I said I was the greatest so that I would have to train really hard and go in there and back it up. I think maybe some fighters, psychologically, that's just how they need to work themselves up for the fight. And Gary seems like he might be that kind of dude. Next question this week comes to us from Davey Davey Davidson. Davey Davey Davison. Sorry, okay, there's no yeah. second D in there. So he writes, that's, I mean, that is a lot of Ds. Mm-hmm. By there's no second D in there, I actually meant there's no fourth D because it's Davey Davey Davison. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm going to stop talking about the D for the rest of the show. No, you will he never writes, stop talking about the D. Do we need to pour out a little liquor for Chris Weidman? Is he done? Should he be? This was a big, uh, UFC 292 was a big card for leg kicks, frankly. Once you factor in Brad Tavares and Ian Gary's performances, Chris Weidman was returning from that horrific leg injury that he suffered back in uh, 2021 at UFC 261. We busted his leg in half, kicking Uriah Hall in their fight. I don't know. Chris Weidman is 40. And it doesn't seem like Chris Weidman is going to be the champion again in this division. And he didn't really look comfortable out there to me. He didn't really look like he wanted to use the leg, the in the previously injured leg. I think believe he threw all of one low kick with that leg. Uh, and I, again, remember when we were talking about how uh, the UFC didn't do big Dacus any favors mm-hmm. when he decided he wanted to depart heavyweight for light heavyweight thinking maybe he could go down there and have a size and strength advantage, get away from some of these hitters that have been knocking him out. And then the UFC didn't do him any favors by handing him Khalil Roundtree Jr. in his light heavyweight uh, debut. It kind of seemed to me in retrospect that maybe the UFC didn't do Chris Weidman any favors, giving him Brad Tavares in this matchup uh, because of the stat that I didn't know previous to this fight, but they talked about it a lot on the broadcast that Brad Tavares had 80% takedown defense over a like 13 year UFC career. So that seems like a bit of a tough, tough matchup for Chris Weidman. And he does indeed end up losing the decision here. Although I don't know, I didn't think Chris Weidman looked super terrible. Like I thought that he looked uncomfortable. I thought he looked like a guy who was trying to get back after a long injury. And I thought he looked like a guy who was not well suited to fight at the range that Brad Tavares kind of kept him out at through the thing. But I mean, I think you can make an argument uh, that Chris Weidman might've won that second round. Like that was a close round and nobody gave it to him on the scorecards, but like he looked, I thought he looked pretty good in that round, but he does end up giving up this unanimous decision to Brad Tavares. I don't necessarily know if I would look at that and be like, Chris Weidman is absolutely washed up and he needs to walk away. But I also think, you know, you're, you're 40 years old. You're coming back from a terrible injury you're probably not going to be the champion again. Maybe at some point you need to think about why you're still in this. Uh, so I guess I'm conflicted a little bit here. Well, again, I will say that I feel it's totally reasonable for Chris Weidman to want to come back and fight again at least once because you know he doesn't want to have that be the end of his career where we saw him get his leg broken half. I, I can understand that. That's It's already too crazy that he was on the other side in one of the most famous and gruesome leg breaks in MMA history. And then the shit happens to him a few years later. And so it's like, I can understand how he would be like for his own purposes and for just the big picture, what are people going to say about Chris Weidman when it's all over kind of reasons. You don't want to be like, okay, 
broke my leg and said, fuck it, I'm done. You want to come back and show the leg break did not break me. I'm still the same guy. I, I can still do it. Two years away is a long time to be away for anybody, especially an older fighter like that. So anybody could come back and still look a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, when he, when I saw him stumble on that leg the first time, I went, oh, no. Oh, don't, please don't let anything. Let something bad happen to his arms or something. Let, you know, if Chris Weidman had gotten a, his jaw broken, I would have felt bad about it. Don't let anything happen to the man's legs. That's just what I was thinking watching the fight. And I feel like a lot of people were sort of like cringing a little bit when they saw that. Also, maybe the first time he went for a takedown and did not even come close, I had the same thought of like, well, that's bad news. That's probably bad news for Chris Weidman's whole game plan here against Brad Tavares. But you're right. It's not like he got blown away. It's not like he looked awful or anything. The Dana White sitting there and telling him, like, Chris Weidman should retire. He's already been champion. What else does he want to do this for? I just, like, it's so easy to say when you're Dana White. It's so yeah. easy to say when you're not the guy who had this has been your life and your identity for most of your adult life. And so to sit there and be like, why can't you just accept that it's over, bro? Look, Dana White is out here caring more about the fucking Slappy Slap League than he cares about the UFC. Can't understand why somebody else might be able to not let it go. You know? Yeah. And frankly, Dana White, a guy that you would have to drag his dead corpse out of the UFC office building before he would ever give that up, as we recently saw in the wake of, let's just say, recent events when some stuff happened that could have potentially uh forced Dana White's ouster or yeah. his resignation from the UFC and he was basically like no 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 you see what my punishment is is that I sh- will be known by this event in the mass media for the rest of my life and now therefore- let's never speak of it again right exactly so I don't know if Dana White should be looking around telling other people they need to retire in any case next question this week comes to us we're gonna read two the first comes from sit yo ass down man who actually asked a series of questions but the one that i thought would be the most pertinent to this listener mail just said were those the greatest tough finale fights in recent memory and then i would add patrick milder's question on here from over on patreon where he said new tough winner holobaz tattoo caused me to become dysregulated it looks like (laughs) it's made and colored in with a sharpie but it can't actually be sharpie right that'd be too weird even for mma uh so the two finales finale fights of the conor mcgregor michael chandler season of the ultimate fighter were indeed on the undercard of this pay-per-view i just gotta say for having conor mcgregor and michael chandler on this thing as far as i was concerned and maybe i don't have my finger on the tough pulse anymore but it felt like this thing came in with a whimper and yeah. kind of went out the same way. I was like, oh, they're already done with that shit and we're having the finale fights on this pay-per-view? Okay. Anyway, you had bantamweight Brad Katona beat Cody Gibson by unanimous decision and you had lightweight Kurt Holabaugh beat Austin Hubbard in the lightweight final by really beautiful triangle choke yeah. transition away transition. from an armbar. Uh, but and these were great fights. These both were good fights. You know, the the other two guys, Katona and Gibson, really left it all out there in their unanimous decision fight. And then Holabaugh and Hubbard were going at it pretty good leading up to that submission, second round submission, uh, to end it. I mean, to me though, these are just some fights. These are hashtag just some fights yeah. because I didn't watch the UFC tough thing, and you know, 
these guys are all already somewhat known to us as commodities, but that doesn't necessarily separate them from like any other fight that the UFC would do. So I thought these, these were good fights. These were, I guess, good finale fights for the ultimate fighter. But, you know, beyond that, I can't tell you that I cared that much. You know how you know that the ultimate fighter ain't shit these days? (laughs) That a guy can win it twice in a five-year span. It used to be back when the ultimate fighter first started, even those first few seasons, it was a life-changing thing to happen in your MMA career, right? To win the ultimate fighter. It was those first few seasons pitched at the six-figure contract, Chad. It's, oh my God, you're going to go from a nobody to a somebody. If you win the ultimate fighter, you're, you know, you marked as a potential future champion. You had a guys, you know, the guys who won those first two seasons went on to become UFC champions and major known guys and stars in the UFC. It used to be a huge deal to win the ultimate fighter. Brad Katona can win it twice. And still it feels like you're just another guy on the roster. That's how the UFC is going to treat you. That's how like fans are going to th- they're going to look up and be like, "Didn't this guy do this already?" And he won, and he's back again. He's going to win again. Oh, okay. Like it's just it just doesn't mean what it used to mean because people got so sick of the show itself. They're not watching. They're not following along. And then you just kind of throw it on this fight card. Like, oh yeah, by the way, we got some of the Ultimate Fighter stuff that we're sorting through earlier tonight. And that was the season where you threw Conor McGregor on the shit, trying to get yeah. everybody to pay a renewed sort of attention and it didn't work. It's just, the thing is such a dead horse that the UFC is just beaten on at this point and won't admit it. Won't admit that nobody gives a damn anymore because it's just such easy, cheap content for the UFC to make. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. Oh, I was going to say, I didn't notice Kurt Holabaugh's tattoo. So I had to go back and uh, check it out. Check the tape basically. And uh, it did look a little weird, like the shading on the tattoo looked a little weird. We've seen but so much weirder shit in MMA tattoo-wise. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, it's honestly not not even in the top 40, probably, yeah, I mean, of weird MMA tattoos. Was it a giant thing on his back of death holding a baby <laughs> that says, Gott mit uns? No? Then get the fuck out of here. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, we got two listener questions about the Sean O'Malley, Aljamain Sterling fight that was the main event of UFC 292. I want to get to both of those in a second. One relates to Sean O'Malley's overall popularity. The other one relates to what kind of champion we think Sean O'Malley will be moving forward. So I do want to talk about those things because I think they are both interesting. But let's start with just the physics of the fight. Because Sean O'Malley came into this thing a little bit more than a two-to-one underdog to all Jermaine Sterling. Uh, you and I had talked leading up to this event about how the vibes may have been off for all Jermaine Sterling, which I think is a topic we can also get to in a minute. But you go out there, you have kind of a, 
low impact, nondescript first round. And then in the second, Aljamain Sterling seems like he wants to work a little bit more of his game. He ends up crowding Sean O'Malley perhaps a little bit too much, and O'Malley lands a very pretty counter right hand that dropped Aljamain Sterling to the mat, followed up with a bunch of punches, hammer fists there on the ground, leading uh, Mark Goddard to step in and stop the fight. Let's talk a little bit about what you thought of just this fight in general, considering it was only uh, six or five minutes and 51 seconds long, but also then maybe in a minute we can talk about this stoppage. I thought it was a little bit of a weird fight for Aljamain Sterling, uh, even though it didn't get that deep into the five rounds, but I don't know if he was had just having a, a hard time with O'Malley's mobility in the first round. He didn't shoot for a takedown until there were 21 seconds left in the first round, and then he shot for, I think, all a grand total of one in the second round before he ended up getting TKO'd. And I know that after the fight, he said he regretted trying to have an exciting fight with Sean O'Malley. I just thought this was, you know, from what even the small amount that we got to see, I thought, man, that's that's a weird strategy from Aljamain Sterling. Yeah. You know, I thought it was interesting him saying that he felt like he could have won a boring fight, but that clearly he was aware of criticisms and wanted to make it a little more exciting and felt like he paid for it. It's also, it's not like this is the first time we've seen Aljamain Sterling make the mistake of feeling like he's reaching a little bit and get himself into trouble that way. He 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 has done that one before. I thought a really good sort of assessment of the fight and what went wrong for uh, Aljamain Sterling came from Teddy Atlas afterwards. And I'm reading this from the MMA fighting story uh, where he says, quote, I think this whole night came down to the first round. And here's what I'm going to tell you, because everyone's going to say, Teddy, what are you talking about? That first round was a no-no round. It was a terrible round. Nothing happened round. No, something did happen. They were both being very careful. Nobody wanted to make a mistake. And then at the end, Sterling got in on him and got a little aggressive. And you even said it to me. You said, now he's getting closer. He's pressing forward. He's going to be able to continue doing it. That's the problem. In his mind, the end of that round, the success of the end of that round led to his demise. Because now he's going to be a little more aggressive. Uh, Basically saying like, okay, nothing really happened. And the one thing that did happen, you felt like, okay, I got it now. I got this yeah. guy. I, I figured out what yeah. to do against him. And then you go out there and you you get a little careless. You think, like, I'm just going to do that shit again. And he's a counterpuncher. He's ready for that shit. And he stings you on the way in. And then that's all it takes. It's, you know, it's a good counterpunch to be, to put him down. But it was also smart ground and pound from Sean O'Malley. He was picking his shots well, but he was keeping the pressure on. Not giving Aljamain Sterling a chance to recover. But not going crazy either. And making sure that he made every shot count. So, like, yeah. it was a good performance by Sean O'Malley. But it was also, like, Aljamain being like, okay, I want to go after him after kind of a boring first round. And I feel like I figured it out. And you didn't figure him out quite as well as you thought. There was some discussion of the stoppage. And, you know, I agree that it kind of looked like Aljamain Sterling could have gone on in this thing. But when you get blasted with a punch like that and you go to the mat and then your opponent follows up with a number of very hard strikes while you're on the ground and in the middle of it you roll to your stomach yeah and it seemed like in retrospect maybe Aljamain Sterling was rolling to his stomach as a way of getting up but when you do that I think it's perfectly natural for Mark Goddard to step in and stop the fight like I don't I don't really have a problem with the stoppage at all it is I think that like he was given chances 
to recover yeah. there. And it wasn't like he jumped in there just because the first time he saw him get hurt and go down. Like he had some chances to get back in that one and he wasn't able to do it. So I, I don't think you can really get too mad about the stoppage. I did find it interesting, as several people pointed out, that here was one where the UFC went ahead and, and we're going to post the whole finish. We're clearly trying to make a big thing out of Sean O'Malley. Also, though, we're not exactly, have never been thrilled about Aljamain Sterling as champion. Yeah. And so here was one where like, okay, you know, we're not uh, we're not super mad about this. Even if it was, if somebody going to say early stoppage, whatever. Like when Aljamain Sterling was up there talking afterwards about how he wanted a rematch with Sean O'Malley, I was just like, buddy, I don't know, man. I don't know if they're going to give you that one. I yeah. think that they've been sitting around there waiting, waiting to get you out of that chair. And now that they have, I don't think they're going to make it easy for you to get back in it. Yeah, I agree. We did get this question from Lawrence Jacoby that I was going to read, but you kind of just answered it. It was all about the UFC uh, making sure that they were advertising the stoppage of this one on social media, which is not something they normally do. He says, do you guys think the shift in strategy, do you guys think this is a shift in strategy? Or are they finally trying to create another crossover star in O'Malley? Or do they just really, really hate uh, Sterling? And I think given that now he is the champion, it bears a little discussion here on on Sean O'Malley's popularity. Because at this point, I don't necessarily know you can deny his popularity. Uh, right. He got a huge ovation when he walked in in Boston at UFC 292. I was surprised at the ovation he got when you and I were in Vegas watching a pay-per-view from last summer. And he does seem like he has the goods in many ways in terms of like out of the cage charisma. And it has indeed felt like the UFC has been behind him since he came into the UFC several years ago. And frankly, at this point he keeps passing tests Mm -hmm. that a lot of people think he is going to flunk. And now he is here. He is the champion. And if if the UFC w- wanted to make him a star, if it was trying to make him a star, mission accomplished as far as I'm concerned. Because it seems like uh, Sean O'Malley is, at least inside the bubble, an MMA star at this point. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. I think, that, I think the UFC really sees an opportunity with Sean O'Malley to be like, okay, this guy... He's connecting with the audience even with even before we really try to do much. So let's go ahead and lean into it. I would like to think that it's a change in strategy of the UFC being like, look, we lost the piracy wars and we're going to lose this war about trying to keep the finishes off of social media. You just you're never going to be able to do it. By the time you get it off of Twitter and other shit, people have seen it and people know that if they don't want to buy the pay-per-view, if they just want to hang back and wait to see somebody post the finish, they can do that. The way to counter that is by building out a big enough card where you're saying what you're paying for is not the one big moment at the end, but you're paying for the whole night's entertainment. That's how you counter that. You're you're always going to lose the battle of trying to just make sure nobody can see live footage of the finish without paying for it. So I would like to believe that they, they've learned that lesson. I'm not convinced they have. I think it's more like in this instance they went, we like the potential that Sean O'Malley has. We see the crowd response to him and we're going to go ahead and lean into that. Yeah, let's do this other question from an expert bipper who writes, well, it looks like Ziggy Sabatka finally did did his, <laughs> finally did it his here. way and made it on top of the mountain at Bantamweight. <laughs> Ziggy Sabatka. How far do you see his reign extending? Am I crazy for already looking at him as a p- 
placeholder with guys like Marab, Sandhagen, and Umar on the way, as well as pesky vets, including Cejudo, Sterling, and Jan. Uh, and this doesn't even include the Cheeto rematch. Where are you drawing the line? We talked about this on Friday, but the men's bantamweight division is a shark tank. It is very competitive. And if, if you want to see evidence of that, you only really have to look at the top 10 or top five fighters in Marab Dwalashvili, Henry Cejudo, Corey Sandegg, and Peter Yan, Marlon Vera. Then you get down into the Rob Fonts and Song Yudongs of the world, Umar Nurmagomedov hanging around down there. And of course, Aljamain Sterling, who had said that he might move up to featherweight in the wake of this fight but after it was over he said quote i definitely need to go back and reassess some things if he caught me like that i can only imagine what volkanovsky would do which that's honest self-aware and honest and also a little bit ouch for sean o'malley uh it i don't know how sean o'malley will fare as uh champion here and and you know when you've got that much competition and there are that many top level fighters in your weight class it's going to be a tough a tough draw to maintain a championship for any time in that division. But I would also say what I just said a few minutes ago, he keeps winning fights. Yeah. He keeps winning fights that I think many of us think he's going to lose. And so I would not prematurely pull the plug on him. Although for him to announce, this is just the beginning of the sugar era. I'm going to be running this shit till 2035 is perhaps a way to get the MMA gods attention. Oh, really? Don't you don't never want to call it an era. We learned that a long time ago. But I don't know. Sean O'Malley keeps turning out to be better than I thought he was. And so I'm not going to just say that he's a transitional champion at this point. No, I mean, I think the Cheeto rematch makes sense. The one thing I am not going to sit here and listen to is any bullshit about Henry Cejudo fighting Sean O'Malley at this. Did you see Henry Cejudo's tweet after this shit? No. I missed that somehow. I saw it via MMA Junkie. Again, the MMA websites love to do the we read social media so you don't have to content because it is very successful for them. He tweeted, hey, Ronald Methdonald, a.k.a. Trans Barbie at Shigashan okay. MMA. Congrats on landing a punch. Get ready to go down faster than Logan Paul's fiance in the bathroom of the ESPYs. Sign the contract, Island Boy. At Dana White. Pen emoji. Paper emoji, I'm assuming the paper is supposed to be a contract or bout agreement, to which all of which I will just respond to when as soon as I saw this tweet from MMA Junkie saying Henry Cejudo wants a piece of new champ Sean O'Malley, immediately no. Immediately, absolutely fucking not. No, sir. What you're not going to do, Henry Cejudo, is go out there, lose to Aljamain Sterling, talk all this shit about how you'll step up, you'll jump in these fights, then your, your whole shoulder gets broke. You out of your shit, and then you're just going to sit around from home and tweet about how you'll, you want to jump the line and fight Sean O'Malley now with this trans Barbie bullshit? Immediately, no. Absolutely not. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> well, one of the things we were talking about on Friday, you made this point, and I think it's a good one. That top five at Bantamweight is banged up right now. Henry Cejudo is hurt. Uh, Marab Dwalashvili seems to be hurt. Corey Sandhagen is hurt. And Sean O'Malley is preemptively before he even won the title was talking about how what he wanted was a chance to get one back from Chito Vera wanted his first title defense to be against Chito Vera and on the surface as Corey Sandhagen said that seemed to quote like weak sauce uh once you start looking at who's healthy <laughs> and who's Sandhagen available kicking though, a, a hacky sack around talking about what's weak sauce 
Uh, but once you start looking around at who's available, I mean, honestly, it could be Chito Vera at this yeah, point. Yeah, and they both fought on the same card, so they both got kind of the same recovery timeline, you would think. I mean, it makes a whole lot of sense. I, I'm sorry to Corey Sandhagen. I know it's probably a real bring-down bummer, man. Don't don't get too upset about it, I, but it just does make sense. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to just talk briefly about Aljamain Sterling here. Like I said, he had said he would go up to featherweight in the wake of this loss. He is not so sure he might stick around at bantamweight. You and I talked last week about how the vibes was off. Uh, Aljamain Sterling had talked at length leading up to this fight about how he didn't really want to take it on this timetable. Uh, He had talked about how he didn't know if he was going to be physically ready. He was talking about how he wanted to have some time off, but the UFC, in his eyes, kept pressuring him into taking these fights. And of course, because he is an MMA fighter, his response was, okay, I will do it and I will show you motherfuckers how good I am. Now he comes away without his championship. He's been defeated by Sean O'Malley here. It did feel like coming into this fight, there were a lot of things that might have evened the playing field between Sean O'Malley and Aljamain Sterling. And I don't want to take anything away from what Sean O'Malley accomplished, but it, there was just a lot on Aljamain Sterling's plate headed into this fight. And a lot of things that I think if you read between the lines a little bit, you could see how maybe he wouldn't be at his best when he went out there on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, vibes was off and perhaps recovery timeline was off. Like, you know, uh, that could all totally be the case. I also think that, you know, by his own admission and, and kind of with how the fight played out, I think that he allowed some of other people's thoughts about him and other people's criticisms to get in his head a little bit. And I could absolutely see how that happens. You know, that that's a completely understandable thing. Really, my main hope for him is that he gets a good pay-per-view payday out of this one because... It seemed like it was shaping up to be a pretty good pay-per-view for the UFC. Dana White's talking about the live gate and everything afterwards. Uh, and so, you know, that should be, if, if that's going to be the end of your title run, and again, I think the UFC probably going to make it hard for Aljamain Sterling to get another crack at the title, unless it's one of those where you just, your availability lines up with the calendar. Um, I hope that this one was a good payday coming in as a champion and, and hopefully getting points on the pay-per-view. Although, did you see, now that Sean O'Malley's a champion, a, a Montana journalist who traveled to this one in Boston is asking about the possibility of doing a Sean O'Malley uh, headlined pay-per-view in the state of Montana. And Dana White, as he always, never does anybody say to Dana White, hey, when are you coming to Cowboy State? When are you coming here? Never does Dana White be like, fuck you, never. Like, he's always going to be like, yeah, man, really, we're really interested in that. We'd love to do that someday. Like, and he said the same thing with Montana. I love Montana. I'd never say never. It's like, name a stadium in Montana that you know exists. Name, name a, a place. City. Name a city. <laughs> In Big Sky. That's one where he knows yeah, exists. Right. The re- most expensive resort in the state. Uh, Sean O'Malley does, in fact, become Montana's first UFC champion. To the best of my recollection, he is the second combat sports athlete from this state to be recognized as a world professional world champion after Marvin Camel's world cruiserweight boxing championship in the 1970s. So that's a pretty big deal for sports in the state, professional sports anyway. Uh, He is also the youngest champion now on the UFC's roster. He uh, seems, as I said, like he could be a star for them. We will see how the sugar era plays out. Circle back with us in 2035. Yeah. Uh, I just, uh, I don't know if we should hold our breath waiting for the UFC to come to a state that does not have a state athletic commission. Well, just bring that... uh, Wyoming State Athletic Commission guy that I worked out with at the CrossFit gym the I, other day. I hear day he's over super jacked. That, that, he is that has super to help. jacked. Yeah. <laughs> Bring him over. He'll uh he'll oversee the fight. 
All right, uh, let's go ahead and do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, uh, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Chad, I mean, I know at this point it's my own fault for being surprised anymore. But I'm sitting around, I'm minding my own business, really. And I get an email comes through, I want to say it was last Thursday, where the UFC abusing their access to my email address. Yeah. Yeah. Sends me a press release. (laughs) Sends me a press release. I would report them to Gmail if I were you. The title of which is Power Slap Mobile Game Strikes Interest with Fans. I hope you appreciate what they did there. Strikes Interest. And then again, it's going to contain some specious claims, such as new mobile app globally ranks number one in both sports and action games. To which I reply, no, it fucking doesn't. Are you fucking kidding me? How have you taken the thing where Dana White gets up there and lies about how amazingly popular the Power Slap League is? And now we're going to just run the same playbook with the Power Slap mobile game? Are you fucking kidding me? This just... Shut up about the slap show, man. If you want to do do your slap show thing over there, stop using all the UFC stuff. I see people all the time like replying to UFC social media posts being like, is there a way that I can stay subscribed to the UFC YouTube page but mute all the slap show shit? Stop, like, funneling all this stuff. It'd be like if you liked a band, you know, you liked Metallica, and then suddenly you're getting all this stuff just, like, force-fed down your throat about Jason Newstead's solo project, and you're just like, no, I did not sign up for this. I wanted the other thing. I wanted the good version of the thing, not this other thing. Are you fucking kidding me? Shut up about the slap show. UFC fans don't give a shit about the slap show, man. The slap show idiots care about the slap show, and there's not as many of them as you claim. We all know that. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? I mean, I bet Newstead's solo stuff would be better than the slap league. Just as a he had that side, he like left Metallica over the side because he just had to keep doing his side project thing, man. I guess. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Uh, you know what? I had a couple of contenders for Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week, but they both just seem kind of like the usual suspects sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. At this point, we could have just have a segment on this podcast called Stupid Shit Conor McGregor Put on the Internet, uh, which and he did not disappoint this week with his lengthy rant about why he wasn't at UFC 92, why he didn't show up for the uh, Ultimate Fighter finale fights and just slipped in there also that they're not going to let him fight in December. Seems like they're not going to let him fight. Couldn't couldn't quite figure out if it was USADA stuff or if it was his leg and or a combination of both. Yeah. Who's the they? Yeah. Uh, draw your own conclusions about that. I guess I would just say, are you fucking kidding me? Conor McGregor, stop saying fucking impenetrable, non sequitur bullshit every single weekend on social media. And then there was Bruce Buffer's blazer. This... You know, Bruce Buffer, he's got his own style, right? Oh, yeah. But even even by Bruce Buffer standards, Bruce Buffer's blazer from Saturday night was fucking horrific. It's like orange with green 
cross, not like a window pane, like green cross hatching. It looked like a fucking, the vision of the future that you would see in a movie made in the 70s. That's what Bruce Buffer's jacket looked like. This is what the future is going to look like. Just a fucking green checkerboard on a fucking orange background. Are you fucking kidding me? Someone get Bruce Buffer just like a, a Navy blazer. Just the most basic bitch shit we could possibly get. Someone go to fucking American Eagle Outfitters and buy Bruce Buffer a Navy blazer to wear with some khaki pants, for God's sakes. Here's what I want to know. Say Bruce Buffer dropped one of these blazers off, one of these coats that he wants to wear, I think, dropped it off at a tailor, at a dry cleaner, something, came back to pick it up, and say that they fucked it all up. How would he know? How would he know? How would he look at the coat and be like, this is all fucked up looking. What'd you do to it? Or would he, would even he be like, this looks like some shit I would wear to a fight? <laughs> this, this stain was already on there, you would say. <laughs> they, the they, just, they, they sprayed mustard all over the goddamn thing and were like, hey, man, where's... And before they can say sorry, he's like, looks good to me. Let's go. How much do I owe you? <laughs> Hang this one in my closet with the rest of my terrible blazers. All right, uh, that's going to do it for round number one. We're going to get started with round number two right now. Well, Chad, you want to talk about some scorecards that tell a story. <laughs> Zhang Wai Li defeats Amanda Lemos by unanimous decision at scores of 50-43, 50-44, and somewhat bafflingly, 49-45. Uh, this was a little bit of a there's levels to this shit kind of fight. Yeah. Yep. yep. Amanda Lemos, tough. Very tough game opponent and everything, but Zhang Wai Li proving... She is the champion for a reason, and she is ahead of the field right now. Uh, also, a good reminder that Zhang Wiley has been in the UFC now for a few years, and only one person has beaten her, and that's Rose Namajunas, who managed to do it twice. Everybody else had a real hard time with Zhang Wiley, who seems like she is still getting better. Yeah. The women's strawweight champion has a name, and it's Zhang Wiley, yep. I guess. Uh, you know... Amanda Lemos had a couple moments, but anytime you're talking about a 25-minute fight, that's not good news, if that's how we're describing your performance, is that you had a couple moments. Mm-hmm. She landed a couple of punches. Uh, she had the submission attempts in the first or second round that, I'll tell you what, those chokes that she tried to get seemed like they just made Zhang Wiley mad. She was like, oh, you're going to try to choke me? Then I'm going to climb on top of you and blast you with punches. Until basically until the round ends. This has been something that Zhang Wiley has done more and more of late is go to the grappling. You know, yeah. she's she's a, obviously a talent, talented striker. She does really well there. She's uh, maybe the best in the division with the possible exception of those losses to Rose Nama Yunus on her feet. And now she's just like, you know, mixing in takedowns and getting to the back and landing ground strikes and the occasional submission and everything else. That's, that's a scary package, to be honest. Uh, I don't know. 
what the non-Rose Namajunas game plan for beating her is at this point. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the big improvements that you've seen in her game in the recent years is that, like, she's turned into a good wrestler and a good wrestler for MMA in that, like, she... She has a dangerous grappling game. She can latch onto a submission when she, when she sees one, but really she is using it to achieve position and look to either strike or see if you want to give up a neck from there. And that's an area where, you know, we've seen a few fighters who kind of come in and then be like, you know what would be good to add to my game is what if I just became super awesome at this? Like George St. Pierre did it. <laughs> Not a whole lot of other fighters have been able to really make those big leaps. And that's one of the things we always talk about. If somebody has a deficiency in the wrestling department, it's often a tough one to close. It takes a lot longer than people think it's going to. And it's become a really core piece of her game. And I think that's really impressive to see. And it's also like if you're looking at her and you're just trying to figure out how you're going to beat her, it's tough, man. It's yeah. really tough. There's just not a whole lot of obvious openings. And it's not like she makes a ton of mistakes. She can fight really aggressively when she wants to, but she doesn't have to. She can decide where the fight takes place against most people. She's dangerous kind of all over the place. She can fight with really high output and and force you to just sort of react to her. If you're trying to game plan for all of that, you better be really good at something, you know, because she's pretty good at everything. Yeah, well, and she seems to have the ability to take away the thing you're good at, too, so that, you know, she can dictate where they have the fight, which is uh, perhaps the most important skill to have in MMA is to put the fight where you want it to be. What about brawlability? Generalized brawlability is also also high on the list. Yeah. we had talked about how this was a little bit of a weird seeming matchup against the number five ranked Amanda Lemos. Uh, and, you know, when a fight plays out like this, it's just a total whitewash, a total clean sweep on the cards by the champion. It reinforces that idea. But now have we cleared the lane for a Yan Zhaonan title shot, which seems like what the UFC should want to do and maybe did want to do but just always has to make the matchmaking line up with the relentless live event schedule. And so here we had Amanda Lemos getting a shot. I don't think we can fuck around anymore. If this is what we're going to do, we got to do it. And we got to do it in China, basically. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense, you know, uh, just in terms of where the division is and like what would be uh, an exciting fight that you could do to really kind of get over with the Chinese audience more. So it makes sense. I also feel like, you this already seemed a little bit like a well who's around who's next on the list kind of fight like we didn't have necessarily a mandate the crowd wasn't demanding to know when Amanda Lemos was going to get her to much deserved title shot she had a two fight win streak so it wasn't like a yeah. thing where you you could not ignore this one any longer and you absolutely had to do it you were kind of looking around and being like who's available and who is somewhere on this list and Preferably somebody where we haven't seen this fight already. That's you, you're already sort of into that territory. So at this point, I don't see why you wouldn't do Yan Zhaonan. Yeah, uh, I guess in fairness, Yan Zhaonan also only has a two fight win streak, but she's eight and two overall in the UFC, seventeen three and one in her uh, mixed martial arts career, and obviously, it seems like a a match that could be of interest in a part of the world where the UFC has made some inroads and seems to want to expand its foothold. So that seems like that seems like the one to make if I was Jan Zhaonan's 
coaches, I might start watching some tape now, though, because <laughs> seems like a bit of a challenge. I might start watching that tape three months ago. <laughs> All right, uh, that is going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, we're starting to get back to that old school pre-pandemic UFC travel schedule feel where last week we were at the Apex in Las Vegas. This week we are at TD Garden in Boston. Next week we are on our way to Singapore Indoor Stadium to have Max Holloway and Chan uh, Sung Jung in a featherweight fight. This, I mean, let's be honest. This one's just for fun, right? Like, it's just, we don't need to do it. It doesn't necessarily have much relevance there in the featherweight division. But, but we want to see it. We want to watch Max Holloway and the Korean zombie do the man dance out there in Singapore. And God damn it, we're going to do it. Yeah, we're going to do it at like fucking 8 o'clock in the morning too, you know? like. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that maybe the UFC, after the most recent attempt to book Max Holloway in one of these fights where we're, we're both going, does Max still have it? Is he going to get old all at once? And maybe therefore put over another contender and lend the shine to somebody else's name. And he went out there and he was like, bitch, please stop playing with me. I'm Max Holloway. Y'all must have forgot. I'm better than everybody in this division, except for the notable exception of Alexander Volkanovsky. And so then the UFC went, all right, fuck it. That's not going to work anymore. Let's just go ahead and make some fights where you're looking at it and you're even like, well, who would be fun? Who would put together a fun fight for Max Holloway, even if we can kind of give up on anybody who is not the champion beating Max Holloway right now? Have you seen the betting odds on this one, by the way? I have not, but my would wager, <laughs> I would wager that they are wide. They are extremely wide, especially for a main event fight. I mean, there's a there's a few fights on this card where you're like, man, we get into some Bellator shit kind of with how <laughs> lopsided some of these lines are. Max Holloway going off at about an 8-1 to one favorite here. When's the last time you can recall a UFC non-title main event? Like, non-title, you can make whatever fights you want there. Where it was yeah. one guy's an 8-1 to one favorite, the other guy's a 5-1, to one, almost 6-1 to one underdog. I mean, it just, this one seems like they went, all right, fuck it. What do we, what can we do with Max Holloway against somebody you heard of? We we want to go to Singapore. The Korean zombie seems like good pick over there. Uh, and like, hey, you guys had watched that, right? Feels like a fight you'd make with the video game. If you're just pairing up fighters, you know who you'd like to see how their styles match up. Why don't we just throw these guys in there? Even if it doesn't seem on paper, like it'll be terribly competitive. Yep, Max Holloway, uh, still only 31 years old, which is Impossible. pretty amazing to think about. He is 3-1 and one over his last four fights. As you mentioned, all the losses in the recent featherweight division uh, have been to Alexander Volkanovsky. He's got three of them. Got to go all the way back to his loss to Conor McGregor in 2013 to find a previous featherweight loss. Uh, his wins, as you mentioned, Calvin Cater, Yair Rodriguez, and Arnold Allen, pretty impressive over that same span. And so, uh, yeah, we got, I don't know if we got anything else 
real pressing to do with Max Holloway. So we were going to throw him in there with the 36-year-old Korean zombie who is coming off his own loss to Alexander Volkanovsky and um, has defeated Hanato Moicano, Frankie Edgar, and Dan Ige in his last three wins with a loss to Brian Ortega sandwiched in there. This is... I mean, it's you don't want to say he can't win because obviously he can, but at the same time, this one, uh, this one seems pretty lopsided, pretty kind of set up for Max Holloway to win, kind of when you consider the fighting styles here. Yeah, but also set up for him to win this time without knocking off any potential featherweight title <laughs> contenders who we we would like to get excited about. You know? Maybe that's true. Maybe that makes it, Max Holloway an even bigger puzzle for. UFC matchmakers, because you can't let him get too close to anybody who's going to have a future. No, he's just going to ruin any kind of fun you're having because he's going to beat everybody. Yeah. Uh, you're looking, yeah. Jad, at a six-fight main card here. Yes, you are. From the Singapore Indoor Stadium in Kalang, Singapore, granddaddy of them all. Uh, going down on ESPN+, Plus, the main card begins at 6 a.m. here in the One True Time Zone. So six fight main card, you figure that's about two hours to get to the main event there. You're looking at, you could roll up out of bed at eight o'clock in the morning here, pour yourself a cup of coffee and sit down just in time for the main event. You want to get up a little earlier and let's mm-hmm. face it, a couple middle-aged dads, our internal clocks aren't going to let us sleep to 8 a.m. even when it is an option. Uh, so we could be up very easily in time to catch the Anthony Smith Ryan Spawn co-main event here. Maybe even with no problem at all, Alex Caceres and Giga Chikadze uh, before that and sit there with your cup of coffee. Not bad way to spend the morning, honestly. Well, if you're going to have Max Holloway fight the Korean zombie, you want to do it first thing in the morning because you want to be able to focus on the rest of your tasks for the rest (laughs) of the day. You don't want to be, you know, trying to have it hanging over your head. Yeah. You don't want to be distracted by that fight coming up this evening. I mean, it does kind of look like a fun fight card in a way, considering what we normally get from these uh, these fight, quote-unquote, fight night cards. Max Holloway and, and Chan Sung Jung, as you mentioned, going to be fun. Uh, Giga Chikadze and Alex Caceres also seems like it will be a heck of a good time. Aaron Blanchfield on this card, and then a heavyweight fight between Junior Tafa and Parker Porter that seems like it will be uh, bungalows. And so, you know, if you can't sleep, or if you're up real early, you might as well watch it. Seems like it could be fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's do just saying stuff, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, I think I think I've said this before on this show. I can't remember if it was a just saying stuff topic or if it was just something that I mentioned off the cuff. Uh, but it should be illegal for people to post videos online that claim to be the full fight videos of certain fights and then when you click on them, it turns out they're just videos of people playing video games. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I don't know. I'm In theory, there could be someone out there on the internet trying to watch certain fights. It's possible. And it does not, it does not help them, theoretically, to click on a bunch of these links that turn out to just be video game footage. Mm. This should be punishable by death. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying in the hypothetical world where someone is on the internet, let's say a day, the day after a pay-per-view for and example. let's also say hypothetically that there are internet websites 
where you know you can go to watch certain fights, and hypothetically, they are not even that hard to find. It should be illegal for motherfuckers to put their video games up there. Ben, that's not, that's not helping. That's not helping. I'm just saying. It's especially nefarious at a time when the video game graphic technology is so goddamn good. Yes. That for yeah. a second, at a glance, you're kind of like, it seems like the real shit. Hypothetically, you would have to lean very close to your screen to notice before clicking on the link that this is in fact a video game graphic, hypothetically speaking. Just for for instance. Well, Chad, this week, I'm just saying, I don't know if you saw this beforehand, that right before the fight, it being in Boston and all, Joe Lozon had mentioned that he had reached out to the UFC and had asked about fighting on this one. Because, you know, he's a Boston guy, he's a New England guy, felt like maybe they could be, have one last ride. He's 39 years old, hasn't fought in a few years, uh, but felt like maybe he could be a good addition to his card and felt said that, you know, he had a couple fights in mind that he might want to do. And then he said he was told that his services weren't needed. Now, Dana White came out afterwards and said that it wasn't his services weren't needed, quote, the card was full at the time that he was asking, I would like Joe to retire too. Then went on, and this it, it kind of a callback to his statements about Chris Weidman. It gets to the point, it's like Chris Weidman. We were talking about Chris Weidman a minute ago. Weidman reached the pinnacle of the sport and did it in spectacular fashion, knocking out one of the greatest of all time. And what's now? Why? To come back and feel it one more time? He felt it tonight, and he blew his knee out, and he's going to have to go through crazy surgery again and recover from it. It's just like, why? You've already done it all. You've accomplished everything that you could hope to accomplish in the UFC. And saying that, so was Joe Lozon. Joe Lozon at one point held the most fight of the night bonuses. He's been a part of the ultimate fighter. Great. I'm sure that's a big highlight for him. He's done so much in the sport. You get to an age where it's like, come on, guys. First of all, I'm just saying, if you feel like you have had enough of these guys fighting, uh, you could release them from the contracts at any time. Just be like, wish them well, and then leave the decision to retire up to them or not. I'm also just saying, though, I get this to a point when we're talking about like NFL players. And we're like, why is Aaron Rodgers want to come back for another? Why does Tom Brady want to come back for another season when any snap of the ball, your entire future could be changed by a horrific injury or just f- further damage to your brain that you're going to have to deal with? And all, by the way, you're already a fucking millionaire, so you don't have to worry about it. Why would those guys want to keep doing it? But we're talking about fighters who, as Dana White well goddamn knows, do not make that kind of money. I'm just saying, if we're going to have this conversation, like, I can't understand. Why would these guys want to fight anymore? Why can't we at least just say that part of it might have to do with the fact that they do not have that fuck you, I can walk away at any point forever money because they're fighters in the UFC, which has made it a point not to let fighters ever get that kind of money. I'm just saying, this shit didn't happen by accident. You like wake up and be like, I can't understand why these fighters would want to continue doing this prize fighting thing. For the fucking money would be one big part of it. I'm just saying, maybe we could at least admit that to ourselves. I'm just saying. Just saying. Low fighter wages rise almost to the crime of putting video game footage up <laughs> online and pretending like it's a full fight video of a pay-per-view fight that hypothetically maybe someone didn't see live. Just hypothetically. Saying. 
That's going to do it this week for the Co-Main Event Podcast. Thanks to everybody for listening. As we always say, join us over on the Patreon page. We'll be there all week. We got Wednesdays live chat, Thursdays doing the damn thing, and Fridays Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon Power Hour where we will look ahead a little bit more deeply to Max Holloway versus the Korean Zombie. As for everybody else, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. I mean, it, you know, it's a pretty good argument that perhaps what you should do is just release Chris Weidman from his contract, release Joe Lazon from his contract, and then they can, uh, you know, they can see what the market would bear, I guess, for someone like Dana White, who I imagine is pretty, pretty into the free market. It seems like the best thing to do. It seems like I mean, the fairest way to figure it out. You've had enough of seeing these guys fight, then perhaps you should tell them that you have appreciated their services to the UFC, and they are now free to do Why isn't that just the first place your mind goes? Good luck in your future endeavors.